that's what pushes me as well. It's kind of try to know my shit, but always get to know new shit. So, <laughs> so I'm always trying to catch up with the new stuff that I want to learn. It's uh, good to be back. It's even like this. And it's another time when we found a spare time amidst our sound routine to talk with some smart people from the advertising industry. Keeping on going, the same faces now Imaginary Studio, Alina Danilova. Hello, Alina. Hi, Jan. Jan Pavelchuk. Nice to hear you again. Thank you so much, Alina. I spent another sleepless night thinking about our perception of beauty. Let's check. According to Socrates, Everything which we use is considered both good and beautiful from the same point of view, namely its use. Hume stated beauty as a matter of an observer's subjective mind, and Kant divided multiple beauties into dependence relative to the sort of things the object is, and free or absolute. How to cope with all this, and what the heck is the point? Aesthetics is the thing that we're hunting in one way or another. And I couldn't think of a different guest for a talk like this. Anna Sampaio Barros, the creative head behind BTTR Agency Vienna. Anna, good to see you on board today. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. And the BTTR stands for what? It's, is it better, better? I guess it's better, is it? Yeah, exactly. This is how we started. So, I knew um, it. <laughs> do good better was our first kind of claim, our first kind of goal. We were working with a lot of social companies uh, and a lot of uh, startups and then evolved a little bit to other things that we could work with other type of clients. So when we were um, already doing big campaigns, we actually changed to Britney Tender Theories of Rebellion. So it's BTTR. <laughs> and when we were questioning everything, but now it's, we always have been called better by our clients, which, which I find it really cool. And um, so it's stayed like this. It's that simple. <laughs> it's, it's nice to see how you like, you seamlessly shifted from consonant letter to an abbreviation. But you're still associated with like being better. Yeah, it's in the beginning when we were starting out, I was really struggling with like, I don't want to consider myself better. Like I don't, I, it, it was hard to associate with that. But, but with time, I was like, it became easier. And the, the word of, we are always trying, we're doing our best work and we're always trying to do better. So, so I kind of grew into the name and, and I embraced it um, more than ever. What was in the time before you co-founded Better? Like actually your previous mm. working background. It's an interesting story because I actually, um, I'm an architect. I studied architecture and I worked as an architect for many years in Portugal. And I moved to Austria for a big project that took four years to build. But at the end of that project, I was actually already using heavily Instagram. And I, I was very lucky to be one of the first users. And uh, my channel was growing really fast. I got opportunities to work as a full-time influencer in 2000. 15, 16, that was right at the beginning of the, the word influencer marketing was not really out there yet. So we were like content creators. We were coming up with different names. But the thing is that I was in 2016, I was able to work full time as a content creator, just using my channel as my, my brand and posting. Wow. That's really impressive. Literally started before it became mainstream. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, people didn't know how I looked like. It was only about my content. So it was only about my pictures. It was nothing about my, pers my personal brands. It was more about my work. Um, and back then was, was like that as well for people that I knew that was doing the same as, as I was doing. And it was a small community. We actually knew all, we knew each other 
from all around Europe and we traveled around. It was um, fun times. But in 2000, um, around the same time, then uh, I started the agency yeah. better because, of course, it was kind of a transition from all those learnings from influencer marketing and working with different uh, companies. And also the, the wish of not going back to architecture and just trying something new. And that's, that's how I started. That's how I evolved. Was there a kind of objective reason for you to move towards collaborative work in a form of agency rather than just positioning yourself as an individual or a sole influencer, let's say? Yeah, well, my work could only be one thing. So I would be, of course, traveling with the people, but in the end, I would be working alone and my ideas were only mine. And when it comes to the agency, there was such an opportunity to learn new things because I was just responsible for one thing, but but there was... My colleagues were then responsible for other things that I did know about. And with this collaboration, I was able to learn a lot and to ended up doing, creating other sets of skills that I didn't have before and, and working with clients that I never dreamed of. So that's only possible when we join forces with, with other creative minds and other experts and uh, other talented people. Yeah, uh, that's really amazing. Um, I'm totally on board with you here on this point. Uh, maybe you could uh, share with us uh, more about your personal experience in advertising, like what products was it and what did you fail at first uh, then you started doing that? Well, it, it has been evolving. So basically the agency has been evolving basically parallel to how social media has been evolving and changing. So we started heavily on, on on influencer marketing because that was my background and that's that was basically back then using Instagram and platforms like that were about okay how can we place the brands into social media and there was through influencers and we had a lot we started with a lot of influencer campaigns but then slowly moving to the brand being an influencer and building the brands that was then feeding to social media yeah. so we started doing that as well and then of course video started to play a big part of it and we also then evolved to video i became very much into video production and that's what we have been doing uh, in the past couple of years with a little interruption with covid but it was short but but video is basically the heart of all content productions right now uh storytelling video sounds um and that's where i am right now so basically it's where it's needed where, where is my attention in my in my efforts i needed do you remember your first shooting you held? Video, you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of uh, photo productions. And the first time I did video was, um, yeah, it was overwhelming. I did, it was for, and I was directing right away. So basically, oh, that, was my <laughs> that was my transition from, uh, I was responsible for pre-production, but I had a full team. So it was, it was amazing. I, I just had to kind of create the art direction in the pre-production uh Part. But then when it came to production, I, I remember on the top floor looking down uh, behind the DOP and I looked down and I had catering, I had the actors, I had the, the client was actually already in the box looking over as well. So it was like 24 people underneath so I could see I had this bird eye view and I was like, uh oh, <laughs> Every, eyes on me. If I do a mistake, it's going to be noticeable. <laughs> Did you have an imposter syndrome this minute? I have. I have at any minute every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what pushes me as well. It's kind of try to know my shit, but always get to know new shit. So, <laughs> so I'm always trying to catch up with the new stuff that I want to learn. So 
there's always a period of out of comfort zone um, where the imposter syndrome hits really hard. But then production itself is such a high speed, high frequency of energy. And the burden of responsibility as well, yes. That there's no time to even think about it. It's just like, move on, next shots. It, it's like, as long as you have a shot list, you just know what to do. Yeah, that's <laughs> understandable for me. This uh, burden of responsibility question, yeah. it challenges you so much. I can remember my first my first project that I had as a as a sound supervisor. That's the crucial moment when you switch from like being just a sole person that's only that responsible for things happening only inside his computer in his project in his own digital audio workstation. And then you switch to absolutely different role model when you are responsible for things that you cannot actually touch with your hands. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's a really significant weight that you need not just to cope with, but you need to transform into something constructive, something positive. And it might be so challenging hmm. because I know many people who have the same burden of responsibility, but they have no chance to transform it into some sort of positive creative energy and they transfer those vibes in a, in a destructive way rather than just transforming this sense of responsibility into positive decisions into positive attitudes into positive atmosphere which is far from toxic one inside the throughout the creative process like from the beginning to the very end and it might be really challenging, especially if we're talking about things that you're actually not really fully involved into, like uh, if you can do only sound, like if you can do music production. I'm just looking from my point of view now because I, I've never been an influencer, but I can imagine how it is from my point of view. And when you take some edges and things that you're actually not really a master in, I'm not quite a master in, in a, I don't know, in, a, in organizing things. I can clearly see my work that I have been doing throughout almost my whole life, like music production, sound production. But I also feel responsibility for things that lie beyond those. Uh, but I strongly tied, strongly connected with it, like creative management or something like that. And it challenges you so much to, it encourages you to take more and more and more. And it's, it's so wonderful. It's also very satisfying because it also learns so much. Like, exactly. of course, if I'm directing a video production, I am directing experts, masters of what they do. I'm not holding the camera. I'm not being an actor and I'm not in the client side. But basically, my job is just to understand what are the minimum standards and what do they need in order to do their best job. And that's only requires to ask questions. So basically, just a curious mind of like, okay, Tell me a bit about your job and, and trying to understand what it takes to do their job, not how to do their job, but what are the minimum standards that then I, I try to integrate on the way I direct and try to give space to each other and try to figure out what everybody needs on set to create their best work. And that gives a lot of positive energy because when I see that dance actually then happening and everybody in harmony and then it's really um rewarding and then and then you get to see the fruits when you come home and you and you back up your hard drive and you feel like everybody was happy on set so and then you get the job done did you have a chance to take some supervision on sound work for your projects music sound design i don't know like things like those supervision 
in the sense, no. I mean, creative direction in terms of sound work. Sound work, of course. Then I can tell you the last project was actually, we were at Sagrada Familia, the, the church in Barcelona. I was commissioned to, um, to direct a video about a private concert that they, the brand Get Your Guide, now enables people to have after the closing of the museum, the, the, the church. So basically after eight, a small group of people are allowed to come in and then have a private concert in an empty church, which is incredible. And it should have pretty much amazing acoustics, right? Exactly. So one of our jobs was to record that experience and transform that experience um, the best way possible through the video, because of course, this is what people would experience has also to do with music and sound. And not only that music is how the sound sounds inside of that incredible building because it's unique. Wow. So, so of course, I had a couple of meetings with a sound operator before the production to understand where to position the microphones. And we had four and a half meters microphone in the middle of the church. And, and because the microphone was there, I had to kind of understand, I had to figure out where the DOPs could be because the microphone was standing there and cannot be on the scene. So it was physical part of the shoots and and it was part of the pre-production to understand how they could dance and where they could dance and what they had to avoid. Um, and uh, we ended up having a problem because the microphone fell from that half four and a half oh, meters. Oh, <laughs> my sincere condolences. And we broke a very expensive piece of equipment. Oh. <laughs> I know, and you cannot imagine the sound that it made in an empty church. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> um, wow. But we were able to save the sound files and um, there was a happy ending on the story. <laughs> uh, it's really impressive, uh, I should say, yeah. <laughs> it's good to see a creative approach on the kind of technical thing, like a sound engineering on the, on the shoots. It still sometimes requires some kind of an unconventional approach. Like you think of you think of positioning microphones in this way, in that way. And the problem with these productions is, is time time management because we are always very limited in time. And here we are talking about a church being open after hours. So asking the security to stay there for another hour means a whole lot of budget that goes over the budget. So we, we had an hour and a half for the whole shoots, which means that everybody had to really run fast and, and, and yeah, these kind of things can happen, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also part of the job. We know pretty fine how challenging the timelines are. Like we had a massive project lately where we needed to take recordings of six extremely rare musical instruments we, when we have like no chance to to catch them up and to gather them all together in the same studio in order to record the sessionists and to take over the samples so the guys on the shoots they just took a boom microphone and uh, recorded uh just on the stage it was fantastic like in the results we used in almost every piece that's top secret but i'll tell this for a musical projects, like 95% was based on being a musical project itself. So like telling people about musical instruments and how they reflect the regional cultures. We took the samples, which were recorded by a sound engineer on a stage in a field, I don't know, two, 200 miles away from, in somewhere in the mountains, 200 miles away from the nearest large city. And it was fantastic. So cool. Congrats. Because like, yeah, the time the timeline allowed us to gather them all together, I don't know, in maybe two or three weeks, but we had no two or three weeks for that. We absolutely <laughs> had no chance to catch them all. And we used plenty of material like that. And it turned out to be absolutely stunning. 
Like, I was really shocked to know what, what a human talent is capable of. Amazing. It's just absolutely mind-blowing, yeah. Uh, what about post-production? Like, do you have a chance to to give your creative touch on music and sound design on projects? Yes, of course. So basically, that's part of direction. And, and to be honest, every single video actually starts before the editing process starts. The first step that I take is to choose the sounds, choose the soundtrack, choose the music that is going to be, how we're going to build the story is based on the music. So basically I, I know how long the video is going to be and how different parts is going to have. Um, and then I search the moods and the rhythm and the different blocks according to the video that I would then produce. So the, the, the music is the first part um, and that will give us a cue of how long each section is because it's the sections of the music itself that we chose to use. When we don't have the chance to, of course, have the music produced for us, which we had uh, in the last project, which is a very different process that I never had before. I always start by choosing the music first and do the editing on top. Oh, my congratulations. That's a good experience, actually, because we do the same thing absolutely every on every project. Like we come up and see a footage there are some cases when we see nothing and we've been told like to make something for for the shoots but that's not a common thing yeah i think it's pretty rare yes maybe i don't know 10 or 50 percent one project out of eight out of nine but yeah it's like really my sincere congratulations because it requires a patch of your current creative mindset and it's fantastic because you start to broaden your your creative outlook like you're training yourself i had the same thing when i started to supervise graphic design things and I felt, like almost physically, I felt how my mindset is roughly changing slowly, but slowly, but surely changing in order to fit my needs and supervising things that I've, I've never been uh, a, a true specialist <laughs> in. But you can use your instinct. But instinct is everything <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to this process. Yeah, you seem to tie everything up. No, and I, and I love in this process, I love that when I'm choosing the music, yeah. I just need to close my eyes and I kind of see already what footage can work in each section. And that's basically the cue for the editor then. So the music helps me to create the art direction of the video and that becomes a briefing to the editor. So that's normally how I start the process. In general, how do you perceive this interplay between visual and auditory in advertising, like maybe there were any projects, uh, I don't know, maybe this, the last project that you're talking about right now, maybe it was the one where this balance was like really noticeable when it was significant. Yeah, I find it like in the last years, it has been progressively more important. Also because progressively, I feel like we have been using more and more sound and we can see by how many people now use AirPods or any type of uh, headphones while scrolling social media, which was not the case at the beginning. Um, we had sound off and every time I read uh, on, on social media that assets should be designed for sound off, I always had a bit of a trigger. I was always like questioning it. I was like, I don't agree with this, but it was kind of the norm. But I, I'm happy to understand, I'm happy to see that this, this have evolved and now basically sound. It's, it's super important for every, for every asset. I think every brand, if it doesn't have, it should have a sound. It's, we talk about tone of voice, but we also need to think about their tone in general, because brands should sound different from others. And yeah, and when it comes to the work we do, we do a lot of storytelling. And that storytelling has a target group, 
has a time, has a type of communication, type of communication goals. And all of that can be packed into a type of sound and a type of music that we use. So we can bring people to that mindset with the sounds that they have while watching the video. Um, and the last work, of course, was it was super important because we did our first vertical production. We did a soap opera for TikTok. Very, very new format for us. So one minute, one minute episodes, 26 episodes on TikTok. And it was the first time that we had a chance to actually work with, with the composer that we did a sound for us. And of course, the, the series needed an anthem, needed, needed an intro, an outro, needed a sound that sounded like that series, like we have on TV and social media is not different anymore. Uh, definitely. Yeah. It's just a more accessible screen, but it should have everything that TV always had and more. We now have it on our, on our phone. So the concept of producing a soap opera was not different from 20 years ago. It's just the target group is younger. So we were talking about um, 24, 30 years old and, and we produced a music that would be relevant for them. Uh, and it was a, a super interesting. And this was just the sound of the series itself, the, the main topic, but then every episode had a different mood. We were, sometimes we were suspense, sometimes it was it was a more funny, sometimes was more uh, melancholic and, and music played a big, big, big part of it, especially in the intro of the series that sets the tone for the rest of the episode. And that's where music plays the, the biggest role. Did it no noticeably correlate with the uh, visual load that you had in those different assets? As far as I understood, you built different assets for different situations, packing them into different versions. Was it a particular situation or was it just a different visual asset that required a different audio composition? I'm just trying to figure out the synergy, this dependence on visual constant things that you see, like actually you see regarding different materials. Yeah. No, in this case, it's because it's not a net. It's 100% related to story itself. So basically as a soap opera, it's just a series and every deep in episode had a different part of that story and had different moods and different locations. And, and of course, to set up the mood in every episode, then we had different types of songs. And it was a very interesting creative process to go through the whole library of music and figuring out what each episode uh, needs. And sometimes some of them didn't need it much than the original sounds, than the real sounds. It's pure silence and really being there and understanding uh, the sounds of touching, breathing, um, that's also interesting to understand that when or not to use music, but sound is always the most important thing. Yeah, I'm just curious because uh, I've heard that from many colleagues and friends of mine who are directors or producers, but who doesn't have like uh, much experience uh, with sound production and music production, that it can be a really hard and challenging task just to describe yeah. what you need from the composer. Yeah. Do you have this type of uh, challenge, just that the description? Because I know that could be a thing for a lot of like professionals in our industry, just to describe what music do they need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's complicated. And, um, and I had a lot to work with incredible people. And some of them actually worked with me for many years. And I worked with video editing and video production with that before I knew all the technical names of things. So I actually communicated with my editor through sounds. When, when we needed a swoosh and we needed a transition, I just made a sound and he understood what I needed. So just to so make it, it a decent brief, like plus one. Very <laughs> before I knew the words, I just 
use my gestures and, and use my body and sounds to describe the movement that I need on something. So this was already something that I, that I worked with before. But when it comes to describing types of sounds, it is difficult. So what I do normally is um, use platforms like Artlist to just get something similar to what I need for them to understand. Okay. It's in this kind of genre with these kind of instruments. And then I just put it on the video for them to understand. Okay. This carries the video nicely. So I need something similar to this. Um, it's just easier to get an example as we do with mood boards. So it's not very different than, than the visual world, but giving feedback to somebody creating the music is difficult. And, and, um, a call is normally the best way. I, I try to avoid uh, emails because I need to express the feelings uh, to describe the sounds, <laughs> what we want to transmit to the video and that then is translated into sounds. Yeah. Do you use the same approach for describing your visual requirements for designers, for graphic specialists, for CGI, uh, I don't know, wh wherever it is? Do you use the same approach for it? Just describing your subjective feelings rather than just giving specific technical requests? Yeah, it's actually very interesting that you have that question. I have never really thought it through, but it makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense. And that's why I was missing so much to work with architects. I now do more architectural photography because architects, maybe other professions work the same way, but architects are very special because they describe things with feelings. So they'll describe how it feels to be inside of a room that is designed in a certain way, how it feels to for the light to reach the building in a certain way, how warm, how cold. And I maybe as, as because that's what I study and that's what I I, I, I work with architects for, for many, many years. I, I got that kind of way of talking and describing things and I still use it. So I I'm when 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 talking to 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 DOPs, for example, like the last time I wanted the, 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 the image to breathe. So instead of saying that doing a zoom in, zoom out, I just made the, the expression of like, how can we make that footage feels like he's breathing? And he understood what I'm saying. So he just made that movement with the camera. So <laughs> I'm just interested in a particular thing you just described. You mentioned that you use adjectives that describe your feelings rather than just giving some uh, specific technical recommendations. Like you use words like mm -hmm. warm, cold, yes. uh, actually uh, things like that. Do they refer to a specific, I don't know, a specific combination of objective factors like color or, or lights? Like when, you, when you're trying to describe sound, for example, like warm sound, it's pretty challenging to give a nice explanation of what a warm sound really is and how to actually achieve it. Doesn't it seem subjective? enough for it to be a request, an inquiry to another person? Um, yeah, it depends. Maybe some people work in different ways, but of course I feel as, as a creative director, as an art director, you, you have your sensibility, your way to communicate um, how you see the world. And yeah, and th those are your tools. So basically it's also about work with different people and, and figure out different ways to work until you find someone that speaks your language and understands how how you see the world <laughs> or listen to the world. Um, because yeah, maybe it's not warm, cold, but it has to do with, with other feelings. Like for me, warm is feeling calm. So it will sound the same, the same thing. I would visually, maybe in a warm, warm space and because the sound is calm. So it's, it's all kind of related to a feeling in, in, in a way for me. It makes really a lot of sense to me, but I cannot help asking this question. Who's actually, res <laughs> who's actually responsible for translating things from adjectives like, like these into specific technical requirements? 
is it a creative's responsibility or a guy who's doing the work uh, with his own hands? Well, yeah, the sound design will be able to understand and in, 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 in a way or another. So he's responsible. Exactly. Yeah. So, and he will have so many different clients in this, in this case, he's a creative director, but maybe another client doesn't go to an agency. Maybe he's a, a client that never talked about sounds, but he needs to express the way he knows. So it's, it is part of the job for them to understand, okay, what the, in every job is basically figuring out what's the client's problem and what the client's solution looks like. So that's their job to translate. Yeah. I remember we've discussed with Jan like just last week that, uh, or maybe uh, a couple of weeks ago that, uh, sometimes, uh, you, you want uh, the client to say, I want you to use these particular instruments, but that's like rarely works because nobody knows what instruments they want to use. <laughs> the client sometimes yeah. says, I don't, I don't give an F. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what I want. You, you tell yeah. me what I yeah. want. I, I don't and know. And I will tell you that I don't. Yeah. But if, if they say, I want these instruments and for you is like, makes no sense. The question is then, okay. What makes the clients ask for these specific instruments? Maybe he think about a whole genre. Maybe he thinks about a type of sound that reminds him something. So it's more like, okay, how can... Yeah, some associations. Associations that then are important for you. Exactly. Or maybe you in this particular moment uh, understand that, okay, uh, he or she wants this particular instruments, but <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's not yeah. the right case here. <laughs> I think the favorite point here is our understanding of the client's feeling of beauty here. Like what clients find beautiful. And that's a crucial moment here because- Yeah, and that's so subjective. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. They know exactly what they want, but how to express it in words. Yeah, and it's it's so different from people to people. It's very different to their perception. It is a matter of taste, of course, but, but yeah, it has to do with so many things. Backgrounds, your knowledge, your perception of society, your place in culture. It has, there are so many things that can influence how you perceive beauty and, uh, and then how you listen and how to appreciate it. Yeah. Could it in the end be that all the clients is actually hunting for is just our sense of beauty that we express in our project sections on our websites, not just our expertise of us being so professional. There's <laughs> poetic notes in our podcast right now. Yeah, maybe it's not even like maybe it's not even important. Well, the goal is the clients to come to you because they saw something on a website and then you said, okay, I want something like that. But normally the clients come with a problem. And one thing that I learned um, with the agency is that a lot of clients, especially in the corporate world, they have a chance to work with creative agencies. They take the chance to work with creative agencies as something very creative for themselves as well, because they don't have that in their own job. So it's also part of our job to let them be part of it and to let them be part of the creative process and to also enjoy a bit of something that they normally don't have in their work life. So it's not only as artists to deliver something, but, but to understand what the clients also place in it and, and what's important for them and allow them to be part of the process, the, the creative process. You've mentioned that in the past that was not a common case to use it like phones while you were scrolling and now it has changed. Do you have some predictions of what the future interruptions between sound and visuals may look like? Because we see some trends now and we see that sound makes like plays a more important role right now but maybe you have some clues hmm. on that question to be honest it's not something that ai is of course very present and um and it now plays plays a big role especially 
and the, the fields that I'm, that I'm working on, um, also in architecture, it's crazy how much it plays. But when it comes to predictions for the future, when it comes to my mind is maybe, for example, when we're talking about target groups, when we talk about if we design a video with a specific sound because we feel like it will be relevant for this audience that is placed in certain region in Europe. But if when you have a video that you need to translate for different languages, the music also needs to be translated for different parts of the world because what is what is relevant in our in our region is maybe not the most trendy uh, or not the most relevant sounds for others. So in order for the for the ads to perform better, the music is shouldn't be the same. If you change the language and sometimes you change also the image of it, you also should change the music. And that AI can of course help us because. Yeah. AI already have that, that um, as, as AI is changing, the subtitles can also change how we listen to it. Um, not only the language, but the music of it. That's one of the ideas, because of course, something that is relevant in, in Europe is not so relevant in Africa or in India or, you know, so uh, a product will be perceived differently. But bigger predictions, I don't have so far, but I know that as the channels evolved and uh, we went from, I don't know, Facebook to Instagram, now to TikTok, we can see how relevant music plays and so it can only get bigger from now on. TikTok without song, without songs, without music, without the sound of the narrators, uh, wouldn't be the same the same uh, social media network. So um, we know how important it is. Just a tiny question: Do you think uh, actually of uh, machine learning being capable of actually making something beautiful in mu- in terms of music? Like if we're talking about perspectives, hundred percent. If they can already have understand prompts and and understand styles and create images with uh, Midjourney and Dali, they of course can do the same with music. So instead of art lists, if we go to, to platforms like that, instead of searching for genres, we can just put a prompt and then comes up the song. Instead of searching for all of them, we can just type what we need and and, and create the song that we want. That would be ideal. <laughs> and for sure it exists, I just don't know where it is yet. <laughs> I see a large, a large challenge in here because it's not actually hard for a machine to decode information, uh, sound information into bits and bytes, but it's actually much harder to do for us to decode all the information into something that actually everyone is capable of uh, reproducing, right? And if we take into consideration that every machine learning engine is actually powered by human, is it much more like tens of times much more challenging for, for humans, for us to develop an engine that could do it as easy as it does already with visual information? Like, you know, you can easily decode digital visual information into outside, outside into our analog world, like of direct perception by our ears, by our means of perception and organically. Couldn't it be like much more challenging to do the same thing with audio? If we're talking about color, yeah, okay. Like we have, we have RGB, we have 255 times 255 times 255, but in terms of audio, it's way more complicated. Like we have a, we have a range of from 20 Hertz to 20 kilohertz. We have a ra- dynamic range of 100 and I don't know how, how many decibels of loudness. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. And of course, it's going to be challenging to get to that perfection. And it's, it's the same for images right now. For example, I still, I, with my knowledge, with my knowledge, my positioning culture, my knowledge in social media, my knowledge in photography, I can still very easily understand what's a AI generated image and what's not. But for my mom, it's not anymore. So my mom will take, or 
my family will take will take an image and it's like, wow, this building is incredible. And I think with sound, they'll be the same. If you don't have that sensibility, if you don't have that knowledge, I don't think you'll be you'll notice that it's AI generated and quickly can be perfected. And um, yeah, our jobs is is to then um, figure out what's the next creative challenge when it comes to those fields, when it comes to photography, when it comes to sound, because yeah, AI will take over some of the tasks. For example, the ones that I do to search for the music to start the videos can be done by this search, can be done by AI and will save a lot of time. And at one point maybe takes completely the task and um, depends on the size and the importance of the asset that we're working on. So maybe we don't need to invest as much time for small assets that need to be out and put all our energy to longer assets. There are stories that mean more, more to us. So, yeah. I guess the solution of that lies in broadening our outlook using new dimensions of creative processes that we actually get involved into and got used to. Uh, like, for example, we have in visual world, we have an asset of available colors that we can reproduce in a digital environment. And we're limited to three dimensions, X, Y, Z. And so we're, we're allowed to make an unlimited amount of forms. Uh, and in two dimensions and three dimensions, we, we're allowed to do everything we want. And we give these dimensions, colors and three physical dimensions and a temporal dimension. We give it to an AI powered machine and we say, dude, make something of it. Here's your sandpit, do whatever you want. What if it's just another way to encourage us to find some new dimensions? Like, for example, I'll just give some parallels from sound design work because it's a bit closer to me. For example, like we have we have loudness, we have frequencies, and we have and we have phase. What if actually AI can reproduce something using our usual notes, like C, D, E, F, G, A, B? Well, these uh, these seven notes that we actually have on our piano keyboard. What if we actually just start digging into notes between those notes? Like there are lo loads of studies and their number is still growing of so-called microtonal music, like music that lies beyond those, those notes, which we actually got used to in terms of Western music theory. And what if actually the whole AI thing is just a, a punch for us to say, guys, go do something new, go explore. Because I just cannot, that's my weakness. I just cannot cope with the realization that somehow machine learning will take my job from me. I just cannot cope with it. <laughs> that yeah. we want. It won't. You, you don't no, understand. No, no. Yeah, I have a very positive uh, perspective of it as well. I don't think it will take our jobs. And our jobs have anyway have been evolving with times. Like my job has been 300 different things since I started the agency because the market also changes. Now it's just another change. Maybe it's a bigger change, but it's, it's, it's another change that will require a creative approach to figure out what's then... Because also my roles, like if I need to be a creative producer, it depends on what is needed, but the mindsets, problem solving mindset is the same and it works with the same principles. Absolutely. So um, I'm not really scared. I, I'm mostly excited for what's going to come. Yeah, we just need to be very, very woke and understand, okay, <laughs> not lose any any bit of it, be aware of all the changes and to um, to play with it. But uh, it's, it's interesting how all the, uh, all of us, like creative uh, persons, uh, call this like huge problem AI and how we all have different strategies and different thoughts of that. But in reality, yeah, that's still a little bit scary. I, I am so thankful <laughs> for, for ChatGPT. This was always a handicap of my work. I always spend a lot 
lot of time of like the written part of things because I do have a visual, a very visual understanding. I have, I have a vision how things need to look like. But for some of the people, I need to, I need to explain with words. It that doesn't mean that my, my job is incomplete. It just, my job is not, it has not been communicated properly. So now with ChatGPT, it's much easier for me to go through that process that has anyway in my head been done. I just need to find a way to communicate with others that don't think like me. Yeah. In that sense, platforms like ChatGPT really helps me to do my job in a faster way. Not better, it's just faster. I can just do more things that I love uh, without losing time and just breaking my neurons or like I, I'm not trained to explain myself into words as we were already. So it's about feelings. It's about visual experiences. And uh, and those are hard to explain into words. I'm just really curious what we will discuss when we'll have something like ChatGPT, <laughs> but for music, <laughs> maybe I'll go completely crazy and just lose my mind. Yes. <laughs> the thing which I'm really curious of is, would it be capable of creating something really that a human could consider as beautiful or any human could consider beautiful. Like what's your personal explanation of the term beauty? Like from your point of view, it, it could be really simple or just how you feel it. Yeah, I think in that sense, it would be difficult for me to consider something computer generated as beautiful because for me, it's very specific. So I, I have a very HDHD brain. My brain is very much chaos and I find beauty when things and things that are organized they are proportional, they are in order, they have the right weight. And those things give me calm. Calm is beauty for me. So it's my visual, it's my visual experience of things and how I feel about them that means beauty for me. So beauty is, is things that make me feel in my best calm and presence uh, way. And those are achieved with those things. So everything that is in order, everything that is with a nice light with with the right balance, with the right proportions. And the right proportions are, for me, the right proportions. So I would have to teach my personal approach of it to the to the machine learning and to get that from it. <laughs> it reminds me really much of a thing that I mentioned in the very beginning of our episodes, Immanuel Kant's uh, absolute beauty, which he described in his third critics. Like this absolute beauty, which is not related to subjective human's perception. He actually describes a specific type of beauty for those things that can be beautiful just apart from everything else. So they could just be beautiful and beauty in self, or maybe beauty of Da Vinci, for example, beauty of proportions, beauty of something that we can actually count, beauty of measurable things. Yes. And those sometimes are, again, are things that we cannot points specifically some things are easy to point but the the reason why something is beautiful um is not always something that we can point on it's just it, it's a feeling that we get from it i translate into balance and weight and proportions uh but some other people could be just colors um features so um achieving beauty with with ai will be will be a bit more complicated um because i think it's a very personal perception um and there's for me for sure no universal beauty and that's the beauty of it <laughs> yeah and the final question but the one that i do really like what's your latest inspiration You mean like um an artist, a content creator, anything? It could be anything. Yeah, because mm. in this part, we already discussed like episodes of TV shows and the music and the books and even wrestling, <laughs> because it could be quite inspirational. <laughs> yeah. So what's yours? Okay. 
Can I give two answers? So one more personal, more like more mainstream. So because it, it is maybe cliche, but it's very true. My daughter, she's three years old and she's on a daily basis a big inspiration to me because it's, it's really interesting to perceive somebody that has such a first impression on the world and how, how she's able to decide things so quickly, how she's so convicted, how she has like a very, a very straight mind. Like I want this. Why? because I want. And it's, it's something that is very, like, choosing an outfit, choosing uh, something to do, is, is so comes so easy for her. And there's so much to learn that because um, her perception of the world is so much less complicated than, than it is for us. She has so, there's so much less information that we now have. And so decisions for her come very easily. Um, and, and it's definitely an inspiration uh, when it comes to my work as well. Decisions should come as easy as for her. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but when it comes to, to work, Work. I have been very much inspired by the work of Minor Step. He's an art director based in um, in London, but he's from Greece. Uh, his name is George Klaus Talis. <laughs> I don't know if I said correctly, but um, I'll just encourage you to see his work. He has been working with AI, all the topics that we were talking about. So he has been creating new worlds in AI um, and working have working uh, together with with sound designers to create an ex a visual experience and 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 every single asset that he puts out. And he's working with big brands, uh, including uh, perfumes. So um, I was very inspired by one of the, the last works that he put out. The visual journey with sounds create a sense of smell. And I don't know how he was able to do that, but through a visual experience, I, I got the sense of smell. And I think it was because of the connection of, of visual and sounds and the nature sounds elements that in my memory were something that had already a smell. And so that sense was, came out of, of the visuals. And, um, and I was like, whoa. This is something new. This is something new. And, um, and I, and I told him, wow, you're, you're doing an incredible job. And, um, he has been an old, already an old expression, but his, his, his latest work is definitely, um, very much relevant for today. So I, I look up to him. We'll be glad to share the link uh, to his works uh, if you get a chance sure. to share it with us. Yeah. That would be nice. I'll do it. I'll send it to you. <laughs> Reminds me of synesthesia though. Funny. It's yeah. when you see letters and digits colored. Yeah. Somehow. Or then you hear the colors. Or you hear the colors, you yeah. see the Love sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Anna, my pleasure. I guess it was our, our mutual pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having me. And yeah, all the best for your work and for your journey as a new company. I really, I really appreciate what you guys are doing so far. Thank you so much. Even like this tune out. Thank you. See you. <laughs>